Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, thanks, Megan, and welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call. Greg will answer the phone. Just give him your name and where you're calling from. You can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, concerns, or comments. And thanks for having me on your show. And uh, we can talk about whatever. Your annuals. Wow. There's still, I've actually still seen some annuals. I talked two weeks ago about the petunias that were still in flower in my neighborhood, one of the houses I walked by. They're still in bloom. I couldn't believe it. So petunias, dark purple, your bulbs, yes, you still got the opportunity to install any kind of the spring flowering bulbs that you want. I mean, even fritillarias. Is that a plant? Hmm, I don't know. Or is that something you eat? Doesn't matter. Edibles, ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, taking care of all those leaves that may be building up. Perennials, with your mums, if you've had mums and they're still in flower, and actually there's a house two, three doors down from us where Bob and Lori live, and they their mums are still in flower. So if even if your mums have pat, you know are no longer flowering as far as color wise, leave the entire stems just through the winter time. So. You can cut off the flowers if you want to, but even if the foliage starts turning brown, just leave it because that acts as a protection for the crown of your chrysanthemums. Your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but just strictly offered as an option to consider. As I said, Greg is producing, and during the week I do something called a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation. I can come to your home. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and my phone number, and uh, you can we can schedule a time. And if you'd like to give a walk and talk to somebody for a gift, I have gift certificates. I would just email that to you, and then you can give it to the person whenever you choose. Uh, tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual groups or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 Three three four four. Today's tip of the trial goes out to June Hudson. June sat in for me last week where Tracy and I were in Chicago. And June, I have known for a long, long time. We worked at the Botanical Garden together. She stayed there, and I kind of moved on to various other things. But she's extremely knowledgeable. I mean, she's more than willing to share her knowledge with so many different people. She's made a huge impact on lots of different gardeners everybody from beginners to master gardeners. So thanks to June, and a tip of the trial goes out to June for coming in and sitting in on the Garden Hotline. Also, a tip of the trial goes out to everybody that works so hard in their yards. I mean, there is <laughs> this year has been so crazy. Remember earlier in the year we were way ahead in rainfall, and then all of a sudden, slowly but surely, now we're behind on the amount of moisture. 
and how to orchestrate and coordinate all this stuff, it takes a, I mean, a great effort. And there are some yards that you go by that go, you go, well, I mean, they're not that interested in it. That's fine. That's their choice. But there are people that are interested and they have spent, you can tell, a great deal of time and effort on making their yards really look good. And the thing is with this year too, it seems like, I mean, there's still trees some of them are Bradford pears. Some of them are hornbeams that still have really good, these are basically yellow color as far as the foliage goes, and still hanging on. And here it is, December. Isn't this, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. Now, the oak trees, they're still going to hold on to a lot of leaves. Not all of them are going to hold on to. But uh, as I look at Christie Park, which is right across the street from where we live, I know the prevailing winds come out of the southwest, and we live on the northeast corner and I see the down along Christie Boulevard. There's no leaves down there at all, so they're all starting to migrate to the you know towards our house. I end up you know raking up a whole lot of leaves, but uh, that's just you know that's just part of the deal with the outdoors. So there's a lot of things that you have to do. So again, tip of the trial goes out to everybody for making their landscapes look so nice for their efforts and everything else, and then to June Hudson who sat in for me last week. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you do have a question as you look out there, you know, one thing, yeah, I'm going to divert a little bit. It's nice to hear the chickadees. I do a lot of walking and stuff. And the chickadees, you know, a lot of birds migrate in and out, up and down. But it's good to hear the chickadees in the trees. So I guess they go away for the summertime when it's too hot. And they come back when the weather's a little cooler. Let's go out to Fenton and go into Brad's yard. Hi, Brad. Good morning, sir. Hi. I've got a question and a follow-up report from a challenge I had earlier this year. Okay. My mission today is to go transplant two eastern red cedar trees from the farm. So I'm looking for advice on how large the root ball to get, how deep do I need to go, or is this just a, a lost cause? Uh, this time of year, it's not really that good to, you know, you're going to be cutting the root system. So if these were grown in, you know, in pots or they'd already been, you know, growing someplace, it'd be great to plant them. But you may be reducing the root mass enough that they may not survive in the move. If you want to go ahead and do it, you can certainly do it. Now, how big are they as far as diameter of the trunk and or height? Well, we haven't decided. We're going to go out and find they are wild trees. Okay. Yes, we right. We have a variety. We can. I'm asking, what's the? Should we go for a three foot tall, a four foot tall, a five foot tall? Uh, we're going to have our choice. I would say uh, go small. Okay. The chances of survival are, is going to be pretty good. So dig okay. them up if you. Can. I don't know if you have access to water, but water them right before you dig them up. If you can put them in a pot, that would be great. And what I would do initially is for the, even if you know where you're going to want to plant them, is just dig a hole in that location and just drop the pot in there for this, this winter time. And that way, you know, if it continues to stay dry, you can water. The moisture will stay within the pot. Just make sure it's a regular nursery pot with drainage holes. And then that will help the root system because the pot is black, so it'll be warm. That'll encourage root system growth. So then next spring, pull them out of the pot and go ahead and plant them in the location. Okay, should I get a, a male and a female, or does it matter? No, there's no such thing with them. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so a follow-up report from a challenge I had this spring was the invasion of the wild violets. Ah. I called in, and 
it was a bad invasion and herbicides pretty much just bounce off and, and they laugh at it. So I took a power rake, dethatcher to them in the spring uh-huh. and uh, knocked them down with that, cut them short and applied an herbicide. And that got rid of about 80 to 90 percent of them. So I did the same thing again this fall to get rid of the remaining and had excellent results doing that. So right. the, the trick with the violets is to get them cut up and injured. And you can get rid of them. Right. No, I completely agree. Anytime you can open up a wound, that's going to make a big difference as far as the absorption of whatever you know, herbicide that you're using. So I completely agree. Just realize that you may still have generations worth of seeds left that are just laying there that haven't even germinated yet. So don't, you know, let's say don't open the bottle of champagne yet and celebrate. Oh, it was wonderful this year. I had grass instead of violets, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's, finally, it's finally progress. Right. That's great. But just you know, make sure that you understand that there could be another big flood of violets coming at you from the germinating seeds. At least now I know what to do. Exactly. Sounds great. Thank you, yep. thank you sir. Well, thank you, Brad. And now let's go from Fenton to Godfrey and into Anjard. Hi, Ann. Hi, Mike. Uh, this is in response to the gentleman who called about bringing his gardenia in. Mm-hmm. I have done that for probably seven years. I started out with one of the florist gardenias. Right. And that thing is almost three foot in diameter now. And I cut it back twice a year because it gets so tall. And what I do is I bring it in. I put it in a south-facing window with no draperies on it. Right. And I rotate it a quarter every day. Whoa. Uh-huh. I, I just turn it a quarter sure. to keep it even. Right. And then um, when I start to see the outer leaf wilt, I flood it. And I have no problems. Great. So I thought that might be of a help to him. Right. You know. Yeah. Overwatering is one of the things, and with the gardenias too. You know, when they're in the inside of the house or they're indoors, they'll have a lot of leaves that could potentially turn yellow. So right, I don't know if I you. Don't have that, I don't have that problem with watering it that way. No, really, when the was... yellowing is just you know, and obviously your south-facing window is enough bright light because that's one of the very crucial things with the gardenias is bright light. Right, and I keep the house about. Uh, that room is the coldest room in the house because it's on a crawl space. Mm-hmm. So it stays about 65 in that room. Right. So that's very important. You know, yeah. I mean, thanks for the insight, and that's great. I mean, you've had good luck with it. Yep. All right. Well, thank you. Certainly. Thanks, Ann, for the gardenia expertise. Let's go now to Grace Summit, and that's where Chris lives. Hi, Chris. How you doing? Hi. I got a question about my pear trees. I was walking around the yard last night, and both of them have bloomed. (laughs) 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 Kiss. uh, Hopefully not the whole tree, but, you know. Uh, Probably three to four branches on each tree have white little nice pretty little blooms on there. Well, just enjoy those because you know you're not going to have any flowers on those branches, you know, when the springtime rolls around. That's what I was wondering. Right, so... They just they don't have the time or energy to sort of set up another flower bud for next year. So this is all you know. This is done you know sort of months ahead. Let's start in probably mid to late summer. That's when the bud formation for the flowers you know can you know starts. Same with magnolias. Anything that flowers in the springtime, they you know they do all the you know bud formation flower wise 
in late summer and the fall. That's why if you do pruning on spring flowering things, you're cutting off the flower buds. So, you know, these, like I said, these branches are probably fine. They'll leaf out and everything else, but you're just not going to have any flowers on those branches. So do I still prune in the springtime? Yeah, after they flower. Okay. And that way, uh-huh. you know, I mean, that way you get the advantage of all the flowers. The pears are wonderful. You know, as much as they, you know, they have the storm damage when they get a certain age and all this other stuff. And they got, a, you know, a few other problems as well. I still think, you know, they're one of the most spectacular trees. I don't have any in my yard, but I certainly enjoy walking past them or seeing them either with their fall color, which I don't know what your fall color is on your trees right now. But the ones in my neighborhood are yellow. Usually they go orange or reddish orange or even dark red. But this year they turned yellow, so I can't quite figure out what the difference was. But uh, the fall color, besides the spring flowering, and then the leaf is so nice, dark green in the summer. They are great trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine went yellow. But as far as my yard was this year, every every tree did something completely different that it's never done before. <laughs> so it's just been a lot. That's the unpredictability of trying to grow anything in this area. Well, thanks, Chris. Greatly appreciate it. And now let's go to Kelly. And Kelly lives in St. Peter's. Yeah, hey, Mike. I called you a couple weeks ago about the ficus tree with a scale on it. Right. And I I hosed it down with the dormant oil, and I think I killed most of the scale. They're (laughs) just dry, and when I touch them, and they fall right off. Um. But uh, some of the leaves on the inside of the tree, they're like wilting, turning yellow and, and uh, wilting. And I'm wondering if the scale did anything to it or if the oil did something to it. Probably neither one. That's just a natural process. You know, you bring a ficus tree inside and you can expect leaf drop just like with most of the, you know, a lot of the different house plants that are more or less woody type plants. All right. So uh, this well, is just... Trees, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just basically... You know, as long as it's just the interior leaves that are turning color and dropping, that's fine. Once it gets to the end of the branches, that could mean you're overwatering or doing, you know, other things could be problematic. But interior leaves, this just this what happens. There's no getting All around right. it. All right. Now I got another question. I've got a climbing rose in my backyard, and it's been in the ground for about four years. Mm-hmm. And every spring it, it blooms and it gets a whole bunch of blooms on it. And then as soon as it's done blooming, it gets spot on it real bad and it just falls apart. I mean, nothing left. And it does that every year. So what's what's wrong with it? You've got a variety of climbing rows that is, a, let's say, a one flush type rose. So in other words, it blooms once and then the rest of the year it's only going to have foliage. So even right. if you have the foliage there and you're getting leaf spot on it and things like that, you just have to go to your favorite garden center and tell them you have black spot on your rose foliage, and this is what's going to happen. But the, the what's happening to the leaves doesn't have anything to do with the flowering. It's a genetic thing with this particular type of climbing rose. There are some rebloomer climbing roses, but for the most part, most of the especially the old time varieties are just one bloom. Like in May, late May, early May, whenever, weather-wise, and then that's it. For the rest of the year, you just see stems and leaves. All right. All right. I thought I was doing something wrong. No, you're not. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX hosts the inaugural year of Bikes for Tykes on December 8th and 9th at the Toys RS in Sunset Hills. With the help of the United States Marine Corps, And our listeners, 
Okay, and Mark's listeners, of course, Kim Walks will host a 36-hour bike drive to collect hundreds of new bikes for kids in the St. Louis metro area. Head to kmwalks.com slash bikes for more details. Preparations for the 2018 baseball season are underway. And we're counting down to opening day. Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne talk to players, owners, and coaches Wednesday nights at 7. Countdown to opening day debuts Wednesday, December 6th. On your home for the best Cardinals coverage, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller. Sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or one 800 1120 You can still, like I said, make sure your leaf debris doesn't build up on your lawn. I don't care what kind of lawn it is. If it gets too thick, it's going to hold too much moisture, and you could start with fungus problems. It may be just fungus problems, wintertime fungus. There are two different types of fungus that impact lawns during the winter. They're not killer lawns, fungus lawns, or lawn fungus like the summertime fungus problems are, but what it does is just weaken your lawn and then it makes much more, you know, makes the situation a little bit more worse and worse and worse and worse. And lawn is so tough here. Here I was just, you know, I was, my chest saying, my lawn is so perfect with the zoysia. Well, with the zoysia, yeah, it looked good. And, you know, a lot of the zoysias turn tan, but I still have some green stuff in my lawn. If you have green in your zoysia lawn, you don't have 100% zoysia. So it's really difficult to grow lawn here. It doesn't matter who, what, where, when, or why. So just understand that's the case. Bob lives in Baldwin. Bob, how are you today? Good morning. I'm, I'm well, thank you. Uh, two quick questions on the soil samples. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you take them, I mean, the depth of the soil, does that make any difference? And how many spots, I think I heard you say, or five or whatever. And where, and mainly, where do you take them to? Who does the soil test sample testing? Well, there's, you go to the University of Missouri, and, you know, and they, you can send the sample to them. Now, there are private companies, you can just look for, you know, soils testing companies. There's one in Belleville. They will send you a kit. And they, you know, with instructions. But basically, you want to go d- deep enough where you're not getting the roots of your lawn or whatever you're trying to do. So don't get, you know, don't fill in five, six, seven locations would be good. And if your front lawn and back lawn are in, you know, let's say different exposures, which I'm assuming they may be, take a soil sample from the front and then take one from the back as well. Or just take one one year from one and then the next year for the other. And then, like I said, go to the University of Missouri website and just put in soil sample, soil testing, and then it'll tell you exactly where to send it. Okay. And uh, how much uh, at each location do you take? Uh, I mean, do this with an auger or just with a shovel or what? Uh, you don't want a shovel's full. Basically, what you're trying to get is less... You don't want a Ziploc for a sandwich size, but I, you know, a Ziploc like a, you know, for a quart size, that should be more than adequate. That should be more than enough soil for them to do a full test. Now, maybe they don't even need that much, but I always like to send a little bit extra just in case somebody drops something or whatever it happens to be. I know they're not going to drop it, but uh, okay. so not a. You don't need a huge amount by any means. So an you know, it's a hand trowel or something. Go underneath, you know, your grass. And below the root system, and then that's where you want to take the sample. 
Okay, and then those four or five locations that can that can all go in one Ziploc bag. Yes, right. As oh, long okay. as it's you know like from the same area, and right. you don't just soil test doesn't have to be for lawn only. I mean, you can do it for vegetable gardens, you can do it for shade gardens, you can do it for anything. But if sure. it's in okay. lawn, several different locations within your lawn. Okay, sure. Thank you so much. Certainly, and thanks, Bob, for hanging on. And Addie is in Webster. Addie, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for all the help that you've given the, everybody in the city for so, so long. I've learned so much from you. And you, um, years ago, said to just take one more and go over the ivy beds. And that's so, so, so efficient and just a wonderful thing to do. I have always done it in the spring. This year, I'm wondering if I could just do it now and get it over with. The problem with doing, you know, let's say cutting, even though you're basically chopping the leaves that are in your ivy, you cut it now, you're cutting off some of the tips that are a little bit more tougher, and then you're also you're exposing some of the leaves, and if, not knowing what the weather's going to be like, if we have a severe cold snap, it could do some real damage to your okay. ivy. So I would not okay. do it now. Putting it off is always nice. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much. I like that advice. I'll do nothing. I agree. Yeah, with the ivy, with the ground covers, even periwinkle or anything, even if technically you're not chopping up the leaves or the foliage or anything else, uh, you know, just set your mower high and just chop up the leaves, but make sure you don't chop up any of the evergreen type of foliage on the ground covers. So thanks, Addie. And Tom is an F. better just to wait instead. Yes, I'm, just I'm confused now. Should I pull it up or, or just wait and do it in the spring? Just wait and do it in the spring. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, and now Tom is in Afton. Hi, Tom. Good morning. I have a, a depression in my front yard where a tree was removed, and uh, I've been uh, the last two years putting more topsoil in there. And uh, this year I didn't have a whole lot of success. I put some uh, winter rye down last year, and it bloomed for a little while. Is it too late for me to try winter rye again? Uh, winter rye, you could give it a try. Winter rye is not a very good, you know, let's say lawn grass. It's a temporary fix like what you've experienced. It's never going to be, you know, long-lived or anything else. So just, I mean, you, it's going to happen. And you can expect this area to keep, you know, depressing and getting lower and dropping, you know, elevations simply because even though the stump was ground out and everything else, there's still wood there, and as that wood rots, that's what causes these depressions. Okay, I've, I've heard you say that before, and yeah. I just want to make sure I'm following the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> the garden centers love you. Come in and no, it's It's just tough. I mean, and people like to throw out seeds in the wintertime and everything else, but winter rye is specifically you know, formulated for germination during the colder weather. Okay. That's, you've educated me. That's what I needed. Thank All right. you. Right. And now let's go west to Wildwood and into Archard. Hi, Art. Hey, hi, Mike. Hi. How are you? Very good. I really enjoy your program, first of all, and I learned a lot. I've got a question for you. I have two red Japanese maples, and they both got hit with a fungus. Um, and I noticed throughout the summer year, uh, season and I did spray it with a fungus uh, killer, um, but I lost all the vegetation on the large red Japanese maple. Yikes! Small one is still hanging in there, and I don't know if it's going to come back or not. It's right, old red Japanese maple, 
and uh, it was very pretty. But it's—I uh, don't know if it's a lo- if it's a goner or not. So I've tried to to nurse it back, and I was hoping in the spring of the year it would uh, leaf out again. But there's there's no way to know. But what you can do—I don't know how many branches are left or anything else. But you can just cut, go outside, cut like a six-inch tip of the branch, bring it inside, and put it in a glass of water and yeah. see if the buds expand. That will tell you that at least if this branch is alive or viable or not. Okay. I did, I did look at one of the branches. It looked like it was still pretty green. It had uh, a cold feeling to it, like moisture in there. Right. And, uh, but I didn't know if it was going to still pull through or not. Yeah, that's hard to tell. And for anybody with fungus problems, I mean, obviously this is the first year you've had the fungus problem with these guys. And the screwy weather that we had with all that rain, I'm sure that contributed. But for fungus, fungicides to be effective, you almost have to, you do have to spray before the problem starts showing up. So in other words, it will arrest, you know, the fungus circumstance, but it doesn't prevent it. So... If this one does start leafing out, maybe go ahead and spray a fungicide before you see any kind of fungus on it whatsoever. Right. Okay. Well, I'll try that. If not, I can always cut it down and dig it up and do one in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, plants do have a limited life, just like your couch and your car and people and your pets and everything else. So maybe it's just an age factor as much as a fungus. If it was just... Maybe they're old, and then consequently with the screwy weather we had and everything else, just kind of set them down or set them down, the, let's say, downward spiral sooner than what you would anticipate. Well, that's, that's probably very true, like anything. Right, so, exactly. why we have nurseries, okay? <laughs> exactly. For your information, and uh, I'll check back with you with other questions. All right, sounds on. perfect. Thanks, Art. Thank you. Have a great day. Yep. And let's go to Oakville. And, Tony, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I am trying to grow Leland cypresses, and I put them in the ground in June of last summer, not this past one, the summer before. And I got them at a reputable nursery, and I put 10 in, and five of them died over the summer and winter. And then this year I went back to the same nursery. They only had two, so I bought two from them. And I um, planted those along with three from a box store. Okay. The three, the, the three from the box store seem to be thriving better than all the, than the seven left from actually, actually the two new ones I bought from that nursery died again. Ooh. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but um, I can't keep them living. I, I'm down to seven again or eight, eight now. Uh, but they just don't want to, don't want to live. But the ones that I got from the box store seem to be doing great. Well, the ones you got from the box store probably were fresh off a truck. You know, that would be my guess on why they they survived as well as they did. Leland Cypress, I have one on the side of my house. I grew it for like 15 years when I lived in Soulard in a courtyard in a pot. Then we moved to South City. I planted it, took it out of the pot and planted it in the ground. Now it's getting pretty big. So, but basically with any of the evergreens, you just have to make sure wherever you're planting them, it's a very, very well-drained soil. And when you initially plant them, make sure the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground because that's really crucial with getting them established. Okay, so you don't want them to have a whole lot of water? No, no, no. They're not like a bald cypress. Okay. Okay. Yeah, bald cypress are swamp dwellers, but these guys are not swamp dwellers. Gotcha. All right. Okay. 
Good luck. All right. Is, uh, the soil type have anything to do with it? Like, I've got a really clay soil, but... Of course, I, because uh, clay I, I soil... I wouldn't even call it soil. <laughs> yeah. Clay soil just means it's poorly drained, so these could be drowning. Okay. All right. That might be my issue. Too much water. <laughs> right. Exactly. So get some of those, you know, St. Louis composting, raised bed mix, mix it in with your existing soil, and plant them so they're higher than the surrounding ground. Thanks, Tony. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got a few more minutes. And then after the Garden Hotline, 10 o'clock, Investing Sense. 11 o'clock, Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman. 3 o'clock, The Business of Family Business. And then at 4, Sports Open Line. So all kinds of stuff coming up here on KMOX. To the phones we go. Nellie, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Great. Go ahead. Um, I'm looking, well, I had two maple trees taken out of my yard, and it's on the north side, and we live on a slope. And I was wondering what you thought about uh, Colorado blue spruce for this area. Uh, you know, it should be fine. Just so whoever installs it, make sure that they plant it high. Make sure that this area is, you know, is well drained. They don't do well in heavy, okay, heavy dense soil. They don't want to do that. But it, you know, these maple trees, the root systems are going to stay viable for a couple of years, even though the trees have been cut down and the stumps ground out. So that could cause a little bit of aggravation yeah. for the okay. newly installed I- spruce. Right. I'm not going to plant them in the same spot. Okay, good. Uh, so just realize that the, the feeder roots go well beyond where the trunk was. Right. Okay. Um, I have uh, some spruce trees um, on the corner of the yard, and I do spray them uh, for mites. Uh, is there any disease that they could transfer to the Colorado blue spruce? No, not or at all. One is there one a variety that's better than others? What would you recommend for? I would um, basically with the Colorado spruce, you're just going for the color. So there are several different varieties, you know, available. Some are more steel blue than others. Some are green. So it's just you know right. personal choice as much as anything. The more blue they are, the less let's say tough and hardy they're going to be. The less the less hardy. Yes. I mean, that's not to say they're going to die. It's just they're going to be slower growing, and maybe that's what you want is a slower growing tree. Okay. And there's no, I have no windbreak. It's out in the open, and it's very windy. Uh, so I'm sure they would have to be braced. Uh, is there any problem with that? No, just make sure first? whoever does the bracing, you know, that the, the tree can still move in the wind. So in other words, right. if they don't, if the tree doesn't move, in other words, the supports are so tight that the tree doesn't move, then they, it's going to slow the, let's say, growth process and the diameter of the trunk. So thanks, Nellie. Greatly appreciate it. And now let's go to Peggy in South County. Hi, Peggy. Well, hi. How are you this morning? Very good. Um, I planted, my question is, I planted a new dogwood two years ago. And the first year it didn't do anything less. Spring, it got what I thought were going to be buds, and I think we had a frost that just wiped them out. That will it bloom or try to bloom again this year, or does it take longer? 
It depends upon the variety. If you got a, a variety that said Cornus, you know, whatever, then oh, with man. another name after that, then it's going to probably bloom, you know, at a fairly young age. If you just got regular Cornus, you know, Canadensis, which is just a normal wild dogwood, it could take five or six years before you're going to get any flowers off of it. What you can okay, do is then- just... Just go out right now, look at the end of the branches, and you should see a little button-looking thing at the end of the branch. That's the flower buds. Okay. Now, and I also planted three knockout roses in the front of the house. Mm -hmm. They basically face west. They did beautifully this year. Do I cut them back? Cutting back is your option, but yes. Don't do it yet. Wait until we've had a much more cold snap circumstance. Then you can cut them back as much. You know, don't cut them back too severely. This is always my opinion. But uh, you can cut a third of them off without a problem. Okay. All right, a third. Thank you very much, Mike. Yep, certainly. Let's go to Carol. And Carol, how are you today? Yes, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, and I just have two questions. Um, one is, um, I don't know, should I go out and invest one to $200 in topiaries now to plant on the porch in pots? If so, how big a pots, what kind of soil, and do you think it's going to be okay? They should be fine. I mean, they've okay. been growing in pots right now, you know, at the nursery. So just make sure that, you know, what you use to, in the pots to plant them in is a well-drained potting mix. Don't oh, use, okay. you know, don't do topsoil, don't do any of that stuff. So these guys need to be very well drained. So also what that means is the pots that you're going to plant them in has to have drainage holes. Right. Okay. Perfect. Okay. And so 15-inch pot is depending on what we get. Right. And the size of the root ball and, and, and stuff. So is that sound big enough or do you plant in, I know you plant your bulbs in, well, you, how big are your um pots that you plant your bulbs in, by the way? I've got all kinds of different sizes. I, you know, Basically, what I wanted to do was find out if even in a 12-inch pot or a 10-inch pot would the bulb survive. So I put some in, you know, in that kind of circumstance as well. I grow roses in big pots, you know, but, and I grow all kinds of different stuff, and I have over all the years. Some of them, my pots are like 20 inches across. Some of them are only 15 inches across. Some are 14. So all different kinds of sizes. Well, I didn't know if there had to be a certain amount of space between, like, the pot, like, for a freeze zone or, or freeze zone and the root ball or something. Not for, not for a, let's say, a conifer. So and I'm assuming your, you know, your topiaries or junipers or, you know, whatever they happen to be as far as evergreen goes. But that's not really all that much of a problem. Okay. All righty. And then um, in the common ground, not really our red maples, they planted them on a warm day in like in February. And they haven't really, I've heard everything you said to Nellie about staking and watering on your first uh, 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 commercial or something. I don't mean watering, but how much mulching to put in. Right. And, um, but as far as watering, um, I think they need to be watered. Yeah, Carol, we got, we, we're going to have to run. So, yes, they definitely need to be watered if they leafed out fine. So, Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, I will see you next week. Your home for Chiefs football. KMOX, KMOX HD St. Louis, 102.5 KZK HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.